I've been talking about faith and dealing with a number of things on the subject of faith. We talked about the reality of faith, how that there is a spiritual world that exists. And faith is not trying to get God to do something. God has actually already done everything and it exists and it's real, but it's just in the spiritual world. And so faith is just reaching over and taking hold of what is already true and making it manifest in the physical realm. I tell you, that is a powerful concept. And it made a big difference in my life when I quit thinking that through me speaking, confessing, and doing things, I was waiting on God. And then when I saw it is when God moved. I began to start realizing it was already real. It was already done in the spiritual world. And all I needed to do was receive it. And then we talked about walking by faith, how that you can actually... You can only see and understand and perceive spiritual things with your heart. And we used as an example that Jesus' own disciples saw him after the resurrection. But because he was in a spiritual body, it was pure spirit. Even though it could be touched, it, was, it had to be spiritually discerned. They didn't even recognize Jesus, a man that they were intimately acquainted with. But they only knew him on a surface, physical level. And they weren't able to perceive him by their heart. And so we've got to learn how to walk by faith. And I was teaching that we can actually know things better with our heart. You know, I'm not a great uh, Star Wars guy. I've seen those, I've seen those movies, but I remember in one of those uh, things where one of those, uh, what, I don't know what you call them, Jedi people. You know, I, I've, it's been a long, I went, 15 years before I ever saw the Star Wars things after they were released. But anyway, I just had a thought come to me that the Jedi, I think that's one of the things that they were telling them is that you got to listen or you got to go by your heart. You couldn't just go by what you were seeing, but they actually trained them to close their eyes and do things and be led by the force. I hate to make a comparison to that, but you know, there is a comparison that if you are just going by what you see, and not being led by your heart. You know, nobody's as blind as a person who depends on just physical sight. That is a powerful statement. So anyway, we were talking about that. Let's use these verses to illustrate what I was talking about. Matthew chapter 11. This is where John the Baptist had been cast into prison. And during this period of time, he got really discouraged and actually came and sent two of his disciples to ask Jesus if Jesus was really the Christ or was there somebody else yet to come? You know, it's easy to read this and not think about it, but uh, this is nothing but unbelief on John's part. John had been in prison, and the Scripture doesn't tell us exactly the length of time. I've tried to figure this out, and I can't pin it down. Uh, the best I could figure out, it's a minimum of six months he'd been in prison, and he could have been in prison up to two years or two and a half years at the time that he was asking this question. But you stop and think about John, he was a guy that was separated unto God from his mother's womb. He was baptized with the Holy Spirit. The only person filled with the Holy Spirit while he was still in his mother's womb. Even Jesus wasn't filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. This guy was just power packed and he was so focused. He never had a normal childhood. He didn't grow up and do normal things. He never had a girlfriend he was separated unto God from his mother's womb. He actually went into the desert. And this guy lived with a group of people that most people believe were the Essens, the one that wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls and uh, lived around the Dead Sea. 
in that area. They were super legalistic. They were dogmatic about the word. But anyway, that's basically where he got his understanding. He was able to quote large portions of scripture. And uh, so anyway, John was totally separated unto God from his mother's womb. At uh, 30 years of age, God just revealed to him it was time for him to begin his ministry. And he didn't go to where the people were. He didn't do what a normal minister would do. He didn't go find the people and then start trying to attract them. But it says he went out into the desert and started crying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You know, it just defies logic. He was out in the desert. And I believe what probably happened is somebody riding by on a camel heard him. God touched his heart, got convicted. He went back and told somebody else. And within a six month period of time, John the Baptist had multitudes, not only of Israelites, but of all of the nations round about. Multiple nations, thousands and thousands of people were out there in the desert listening to this guy. I mean, it had to be a powerful, powerful anointing on his life. One of the greatest ministries that ever came along. But it only lasted about six months. This guy had been preparing himself for 30 years and in six months had basically accomplished his goal. And then he got in trouble for criticizing Herod about marrying his uh, brother's wife, an incestual relationship, and Herod put him in prison. And he had been in prison for anywhere from six months to two years. And you got to remember, this guy was just a fireball. He was he was uh, he was so strong that for a person like that who had this drive in his heart to minister God's word to see a nation turn back to the Lord. Uh, This would be the worst thing that you could possibly do to a person like that is stick him in prison to where he can't fulfill that call and that ministry on his life. And I can guarantee you that must have been hard on John. And so anyway, after being in prison, here's Matthew chapter 11. In verse 2 it says, Now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? You know, sometimes it's easy to pass over that. But man, this means that John the Baptist had started doubting whether Jesus was really the Christ. And you got to remember that John is the one who when he saw Jesus, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. His whole life had been focused on this moment. And the Lord had not only told him that he was going to introduce the Christ and prepare the way for the Christ, but the Lord had given him a audible and a visible sign of the, of the right one. He said, upon whom you see the Spirit of God descending in a bodily shape as a dove, and then you'd hear my voice saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased, that that's the one. So John baptized him, and when those things happened, he said, behold, the Lamb of God. And he took all of his uh, success, all of his clout and recognition that he had received and put it upon Jesus And he was so confident of this that even two of his disciples, Andrew and, um, was it Andrew and Peter? Anyway, two of his disciples came to him and um, he, he told them to follow him. And he says, go after him. He must increase, but I must decrease. The uh, scribes and Pharisees tried to play on his carnality, on his humanity and get him divided against Jesus, critical of Jesus and said, don't you realize that the one who is baptizing the Christ, has baptized more disciples than you have. And John was so adamant that he knew Jesus was the Christ that he said, I'm not even worthy to stoop down and undo the latching on his sandals. He must increase, but I must decrease. 
What I'm trying to say is John at one time was absolutely certain, had an audible and a physical sign that Jesus was the right one. And there was zero doubt in um, John's heart at one time that Jesus was the Christ. But after being in prison for an undetermined period of time, you know what? He began to doubt. Now this says a number of things. One of them is that anybody can doubt. John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb for 30 years had remained faithful for 30 years kept his focus was so powerfully anointed that in six months he accomplished what most people would never accomplish in an entire lifetime john the baptist was a powerful powerful man of god filled with the holy spirit the only person on the face of the earth filled with the holy spirit until jesus was anointed at his baptism i mean a super unusual person And yet, a certain period of time in prison, he began to doubt everything. You know what? You cannot just ever reach a place where you think that you're invincible and that you can never fall into unbelief. I tell you, circumstances will go to talking to you. John was in circumstances that were totally against everything he was believing for. He was a visionary and here he was stuck in prison and seeing everybody else uh, take over the ministry and all these things happen. And uh, John just let it get to him. And John literally began to doubt whether Jesus was the Christ. And so not only was that a doubt about the uh, life of Jesus, that's severe, that's bad enough. But John the Baptist basically was calling into question, have I totally missed God? Here I am. I'm the only person in the history of the world filled with the Holy Spirit from my mother's womb. God entrusted to me to prepare the way for the Messiah And I said that Jesus was the Messiah and here he is wondering, did I blow it? Have I taken this great gift that God's given me? Have my whole life been a waste? He never did any of the normal things that people did. He had nothing in his life. His whole life was devoted to making the way for the Messiah prepared. And if Jesus wasn't the Messiah, he had totally blown it. You talk about an identity crisis. You talk about miserable You talk about a person that's in a severe crisis. This was John the Baptist. When he sent two of his disciples to say, are you the Christ or do we look for another? Man, there's a lot in that. This was severe. And look what Jesus did in verse 4. It says, Jesus answered and said unto them, "Go, go and show John again those things which you do hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed. And the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. You know, that's amazing. And if you read this, I forget exactly where else this is recorded. Where is it? Luke chapter 9. Does anybody remember? But anyway, if you read it in the other gospel account, it says that for an hour he didn't even answer the disciples. He didn't even respond to him. Here was John the Baptist coming in a crisis situation and saying, help me. Are you really the Christ? Give me some assurance. And Jesus basically ignored them for an hour and went about and did all of these miracles. Then he said this. And then it also says in this other account, I believe it's Luke something. But uh, it says in the other account that as they departed, then he turned to the multitudes and he began to say these things about John. And you know, this amazed me because when I first read this, I, it just really sunk in on me 
the desperate situation that John was in, how critical this was. And Jesus was basically, he came to Jesus asking for help with his unbelief. God, help me. You know, I believe that you're the one, but I'm wavering. I'm not absolutely sure. Are you really the Christ? Give me some assurance. And Jesus nearly ignored him is what it looked like for an hour, performed some miracles, told the disciples to go back and just tell John what you've seen and heard and blessed is he if he isn't offended. And then after John's disciples left is when he said the things that would have really ministered to him and helped him. It says in verse 7, and as they departed, Jesus began to say unto the multitudes concerning John, while went ye out into the wilderness to see a reed shaken with the wind? Of course, this is a sarcastic or a ironic statement. In other words, what he, he says, why did millions of people or thousands of people go out into the desert? Was it to see the reeds blowing in the wind? Of course, the answer to that is no. The reeds had been there for centuries and, and they hadn't had multitudes going out there. That's not the reason. He says, what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in king's houses. In other words, was it John's charisma? Was it his fancy clothes, his patent leather shoes, and his nice suits and stuff that drew people? Man, I I remember when the hippie movement was real big. I used to get the Jesus People magazine over in Vietnam, and I'd read it. And I remember them trying to justify the way they dressed and all of these kind of things. And one of the things they used was John the Baptist, and they said that he wore camel hair. And they said the only thing that smelled worse than camel hair was camel hair that was wet. And John the Baptist stayed in the river nearly all the time. They, and they had pictures of him, you know, with, with uh, honey on his beard and a locust uh, leg stuck on it and stuff like this. And, and uh, anyway, it, I don't know if that's exactly accurate, but certainly John the Baptist didn't draw all of the multitudes because of his fancy clothes is what Jesus is saying. And in verse 9, he says, But what did you go out to see, a prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and much more than a prophet, for this is he whom, of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messengers before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist, notwithstanding he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And when I recognized how desperate this situation was for John and how he was groping for help and wanting Jesus to help him, you know, as I read this, I thought, Jesus, he would have ministered, seems to me like it would have ministered to John much more to say these really complimentary things. He he quoted scripture and he says, this is the one, the messenger who's going to prepare the way before thy face, referring back to uh, Malachi chapter four and Isaiah chapter 40 and other places. Man, he said, you know, what would it do to you if you were struggling and somebody says, man, you're the one that the scriptures prophesied about 400 and something years ago. Now, Jesus was the most popular man on the face of the earth at that time. And as far as the religious crowd went, I mean, multitudes were coming to his meetings. He was just changing the world. And to have this person say about you that you were written about in scripture 400 and something years ago, you were the one that scripture is being fulfilled and uh, prophecy is being fulfilled about. And then to say that among them that are born of women, that just about includes everybody. (laughs) Everybody, but I guess Jesus, he was a virgin birth. He was born of a woman, but uh, excluding Jesus, excluding Jesus, 
John the Baptist was the greatest person that had ever walked on the face of the earth. That means that John the Baptist was greater than Moses, greater than Elijah, David, anybody that you want to mention. Man, what a powerful compliment coming from the strongest religious leader on the face of the earth. Seems like that this would have built you up. Seems like this would have really encouraged you to have this man say those things. And so I read all of this and thought, God, it seems to me like your answer to John wasn't as good as the answer that you gave to the people about John. Why didn't you say all these complimentary things about John? Anybody else think this way? Nobody else. Well, I'm just letting you listen in then on the way I think that this, you know, I remember one time I was at Pastor Bob Nichols and this is back. I'd only met him one time and it was a bad circumstance from my standpoint. Hit a neighbor was always wanting to get, get me to meet Bob Nichols, Elmer Hannibal. He's in glory now, might be listening to us today. But Elmer Hannibal was always trying to get me to hook up with Bob Nichols. And so I said, well, I'd like to meet Bob Nichols, but I'm not going to go over and camp on his doorstep or anything like that. And so anyway... Elmer invited Bob and Joy over for supper and invited Jamie and me over and didn't tell either one of us that the other one was coming, put us in a room together and basically said fellowship. And I just was real, I was humiliated. I was embarrassed. Like, man, you know, I would have never have done this to Bob and Joy. That was imposing on them. And man, I just was, it was, Bob was very gracious. Bob and Joy were super kind to me. But anyway, that's the only experience I'd ever had was meeting them, and that was a couple of years before this instance. And I went to Calvary Cathedral, and they were having an ICFCM meeting. They had 2,000 people there. And I, they had, uh, in that church, they had a section of seats in the middle that must have been 20 or 25 seats um, across. They didn't have an aisle right down the middle. And, and because of it, uh, I was sitting in the very middle I was 15 people, 12, 15 people in from the aisle, sitting in the middle of these 2,000 people. And you know what? It was just, it was inconvenient to get to me or anything. And when they said, go around and hug somebody. You know, I was in a desperate situation. I was discouraged. I was needing to be encouraged. And I was thinking, man, here they, all, they were up there prophesying to Hagen and Copeland and all of the big names and doing all of this thing. And I was feeling like, man... I'm a zero with the rim knocked off, you know. I just, nobody knows me. Nobody cares. I need a word just as strong as any of these powerful ministers. And I was just sitting there kind of beating up on myself. And when they said, go hug somebody, Pastor Bob got off the platform. I don't even know how he saw me out of 2,000 people. He ran down the aisle, pushed his way in, and just started hugging me. And he wouldn't let me go. It wasn't just one of these charismatic hugs like, good to see you, brother. I mean, he wouldn't let me go. And he started saying, don't you quit. Don't you quit. God loves you. And, you know, it just did something that Bob Nichols, the pastor of this church, a large church, would single me out of 2,000 people and come down and just honor me and say that he loved me. Boy, it encouraged me. And see, I was looking at this thinking, well, why didn't Jesus do this to John? Why didn't he encourage him? Why didn't he do something? It seems to me that it would have been a lot more encouraging to hear Jesus say all these really complimentary things about you than to just say, tell him what you've seen and heard and he's blessed if he won't be offended. 
And man, that just bothered me for years. I used to read this passage of scripture and it just bothered me. And I thought, God, I do not understand what you were doing. And many years after this, look over in Isaiah chapter 35. Many years after I had this question and I tried to understand this, I was just reading through the Bible and I read in Isaiah chapter 35. And if I had time, you could go back and prove that this is a prophetic passage of scripture about the Messiah and what would happen when the Messiah came. But in Isaiah chapter 35, this is speaking to the messenger who would prepare the way before the Messiah, which was John the Baptist. These are passages of scripture that he was familiar with. He even quoted from Isaiah chapter 40 saying, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. So John was familiar with these exact scriptures. And in Isaiah chapter 35, this is the instruction to John. It says, strengthen ye the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. Say to them that of a fearful heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. Even God with a recompense, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be open and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as an heart and the tongue of the dumb shall sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert. And as I read this, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit reminded me of what Jesus did over here in Matthew chapter 11. He, in one hour, he, he said, go tell John that the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached unto them, and blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Jesus, in one hour period of time, fulfilled Isaiah chapter 35, what the scripture said the Messiah would do. Jesus performed every miracle. The deaf heard, the lame walked, the blind saw, and he threw in raising somebody from the dead just so that there would be no mistake. Nobody would think this was coincidence. He fulfilled Isaiah 35 and even went above that to the point of raising somebody from the dead. And he says, go back and tell John what you've seen and heard. You know what Jesus was doing here? Jesus pointed John back to the word to get over his discouragement and his unbelief instead of just giving him an emotional fix. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Again, I mentioned Bob, you know, coming and ministering to me and that helped me. But you know what? I can guarantee you I fought that same battle again because Bob wasn't always around. You know what? We need each other and there's nothing wrong with people going around and loving each other and doing things to encourage you. But you know what? You can't, as much as I believe that we need to encourage each other, the ultimate encouragement is the word of God and going back to what God's word said. John knew what the word said. John knew what the prophecy was about Jesus and Jesus had fulfilled it to the T. The thing that was bothering John was he was probably like most people of the day. They saw the first and the second coming of the Lord as being all one event. And many of you are aware of what I'm talking about. They'd prophesy in Isaiah chapter 61 that you know that uh, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are uh, bruised, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And in Luke 4, Jesus just stopped right there and put a period. But it goes on to say in Isaiah 61, and 
to proclaim the day of the vengeance of our God. See, all of that was run together in the Old Testament. And most people saw the advent of the Lord as being the first and second advent as being one thing. And they were expecting Jesus to establish a physical kingdom. They were thinking that Jesus was going to overthrow the Roman government. I believe that probably John was doing that exact same thing. He saw himself promoting the Lord, the Messiah coming, the Messiah literally putting down all of the secular rule, establishing a physical kingdom. And he saw things differently than him being put in prison and rotting in prison for anywhere from six months to two years. He just, you know, hope deferred makes a heart sick because his circumstances weren't the way he had anticipated it and and seen it. He was wanting some reassurance, uh, reassurance. He was looking for things. And instead of the Lord coming down to just an emotional level and dealing with John just on an emotional plane and saying something about him that would make him feel good temporarily, instead, the Lord said, referred him back to the scriptures that had motivated him for 30 years, that had been his guiding force. The Lord put him back to the Word of God. And you know why he did that? Because he respected John so much. He didn't give him a temporary fix, something that would make him feel good for the next day or two and then rub off. But instead, he gave him the Word. He pointed him back to the Word. You know, in the 20th chapter of John, look at this, where Thomas was absent after the resurrection appearance of Jesus to the disciples. And in John chapter 24, verse 24, it says, But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. That is a statement. That is a choice. Thomas was saying, unless I can see, touch, feel, I am not going to believe. He limited what he would believe to only things that could be proven in the physical, natural realm. He refused to operate in faith, what we've been teaching here, about uh, being able to see beyond the physical realm. And in verse 26, after eight days again, his disciples were within and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, peace be unto you. And he said to Thomas, reach hither thy finger and behold my hands and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said unto him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus here said there is a greater blessing on the person who sees by faith than those who see by sight. He said there is a greater blessing. And you know what I believe Jesus was actually doing with John in Matthew chapter 11? Jesus respected John so much. He was the greatest man that had ever been born of a woman. He respected him so much that instead of coming down to an emotional level and just meeting him on that carnal level, he brought John up by giving him scripture and referring him back to scripture. And you know, the scripture doesn't show us what John's response was But I believe that when this came back to John, he probably pondered this for a while 
What does this mean? And I can guarantee you the Holy Spirit quickened back to him, Isaiah chapter 35. He remembered that, you know what? Jesus has fulfilled everything that the scripture said about him. He has done things that nobody else has done. Regardless of what my circumstances are, regardless of what's going on with me, how could I doubt that Jesus is the son of God? And I believe he got back on the word of God. I believe that John went out with a shout, standing on the word of God. I believe that Jesus knew he was able to receive this. And so he ministered to him on this level because he respected him so much. And let me just say some things here. This will help some of you, I think. But I remember when I first got turned on to the Lord, I was raised a Baptist and believed that, you know, there were no such things as angels and demons. I mean, I believed that they existed, but nobody would ever see them. None of these things would ever happen. All of the demons were over in Africa someplace. There were no such thing as demons here. Supernatural just was not a part of the Baptist theology. Now, I'm not against them. I got born again in Baptist church, but I'm just saying that supernatural, spirit-filled stuff, things that we take for granted was not a part of the Baptist culture at all. And when I got baptized in the Holy Spirit and realized that, man, these things were real, and I started casting demons out of people and stuff, and I started hearing about people like Kenneth Hagin who, you know, had fire jump between his hands and he could feel things and he saw angels and had visions. And I started hearing about this. I thought, man, awesome. If he can do it, I can do it. And I was really pressing the Lord in this area. And I was praying to see all of these things. And again, there's nothing wrong with all of that. I'm not saying that God does not speak in visions and dreams. But I'm just saying that I was really wanting to start having physical manifestations to see things, to feel things, to have anointing flow through my hands so that I could feel things. And uh, the Lord showed me these exact things. This is when the Lord showed me and basically said that, you know what, there is a greater blessing, a greater anointing on those who will walk by faith take what the word says and just stand on the word of God than those who see because uh, of something physical. Thomas fell down and says, my Lord and my God. And he finally admitted that Jesus was raised from the dead. And Jesus said, because you saw, you believe, yea, rather blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. The Bible put a greater blessing on those who walk by faith than those who walk by sight. And you know, when I saw that, I changed and I said, Lord, I want the greater blessing. I want to operate in the greater blessing. I said, I'm not going to reject anything you want to do. If God wants to give me a vision today, I'll receive it. But I'm saying I quit seeking it. And I started being one of those, God, I want to be like the centurion over in the eighth chapter of the book of Matthew, who when Jesus said, I will come and heal him, he says, Hey, I don't need you to come to my house. I'm a man under authority. I understand your power. You speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. Jesus said, I have never seen so great faith. What was great about his faith? He didn't have to have any physical, tangible evidence. He didn't have to have somebody there. He didn't need somebody to wave his hand over the servant. He says, you speak the word only and I'll believe. A person who believed because God's word was spoken. He says, that is the greatest faith He had ever seen in his life. And brothers and sisters, I believe that a lot of us are actually trying to pressure God into having 
things happen physically, tangibly. And again, I'm not saying that there, it doesn't happen, but I'm saying that that shouldn't be our focus. We ought to aim for the higher things saying, God, if your word says that by your stripes I'm healed, that is sufficient for me. And I don't have to have a goosebump. I don't need somebody to come prophesy and call out my name and tell me that I've got this. God, your word says it. Your word is sufficient. I'm going to stand on the word of God. That is the greatest manifestation of faith. There is a greater blessing and reward on that type of faith than there is anything else. And many of us just literally aren't shooting for the highest form of faith. But instead, we're always having to have somebody call our name out, have something special happen. And because God loves us, He'll meet us where our faith is. But I really believe that that's one reason that, you know, I'm, I, if I'm in a meeting, now, of course, in my own meeting, sometimes things are different. But if I'm in somebody else's meeting, everybody in the house will be prophesied to before I will. I mean, it is amazing the way that I don't get prophecies, that nobody speaks to me. Matter of fact, I even remember one time I went to uh, California, and this is when the Lord was leading me to leave churches and start traveling and ministering similar to what I'm doing right now. It was a huge step of faith for me, and I went to a Kenneth Copeland Believers Convention in Anaheim, California, I believe it was 1978, And I went expecting to get a word from God. I was believing that God was going to prophesy to me out of all of the thousands of people there. And we were up in the nosebleed section in this upper balcony. I mean, Kenneth Copeland was so far away, I could just barely see him down there. And we were up there and I was just putting a draw on him. And I had my head down and I was praying And all of a sudden he started saying, thus saith the Lord. And I looked up and he was pointing and he was pointing right at me. And I thought, thank you, Jesus, this is it. And man, I listened and it was about you step out. You do what God tells you to do. Don't worry about people. Don't worry about finances. You follow the leading of God and God is going to do this. And everything I was believing for, it was an absolute confirmation to everything I said. And I thought, man, this is awesome. And then he said, did you get that, Ed? And he was prophesying to Ed Dufresne. And the way he was pointing, you know, I was right in line. And I thought it was to me at first, but it wasn't to me. It was to Ed Dufresne. And man, I just, oh God, I thought that was for me. And my emotional high turned into an emotional low. And I... I left there thinking, God, why couldn't that have been for me? And the Lord spoke to him and he says, if it had been for you, if I'd have had Andrew on it, would you have heard anything that I haven't already told you? And I said, nope, not a thing. I said, I already knew everything. And he says, why don't you just believe me? Why don't you just believe the word that I'm speaking and not have to get it confirmed? And you know what? That's when I made my decision to start traveling and doing the things that we're doing now. And that's, and I mean, it was God. And you know, God is just led me in this direction to where honestly, if I get a confirmation, it's wonderful. I'm not against those things, but I, I don't need it. I don't need it. I am trying to live. I haven't arrived, but I've left. I am trying to live on a level to where God, if you will speak it to me, I don't have to have a sign, a vision, a goosebump, a prophecy, a confirmation. I don't have to have all of these other things happen that God, if you'll just speak to me, I want to be a person that will hear God's voice and that that's good enough. I believe that that's a higher form of faith. 
And that's what I've been talking about this week. Really, most of us literally do not operate in this highest form of faith in the spiritual realm. We, we put out fleeces. We do anything and everything trying to find out, God, do you really want to heal me when the Bible says by his stripes you were healed? But the word isn't sufficient for most people. They have to have three confirmations and two dreams and an angel appear or something else to, God, is this really for me? And you know, you can call that anything you want, but it's unbelief. It's just unbelief. I can guarantee you, many of us in here, God has spoken to you. God has given you visions and dreams. And if you were in faith, just believing what God had said to you and rejoicing in it, man, you would just be doing infinitely better than you are right now. But I can guarantee you there's people in here who have dreams and visions. If somebody was to pressure you, what has God said? You have a word from God. And the problem is you just aren't confident. You aren't secure in it. And you are waiting on circumstances to confirm it. And on prophecies or something else. And you're just insecure and waiting on things. If you were to just go back to what has God said to you. And if it's God, then do it. And who cares if anybody else agrees? Who cares if circumstances agree? If you just get into faith and start operating in faith over what God has said instead of in unbelief, you know what? Your whole situation would turn around. I remember Pastor Bob again, one of his stories. This, this is one of my favorite stories about when he was facing these crises, financial crisis with his building. And um, he was up against a deadline and he went out into a field to pray all night long and get a word from God. And uh, anyway, all night long, God didn't speak to him. And finally, it was getting daylight. And, you know, he was out there in Fort Worth. People were driving by. They could see him. So finally he retreated in a sense and just, God, I don't know why. And he got in his car and started it up. And he had forgotten that he left the radio on. And when he started his car up, Shambach was on. And he said, Preacher, you don't have any problem. All you need is faith in God. Man, he turned the car off. He thought it was God speaking to him. And then he realized, oh, it was Shambot, but you know what? God had made his point. And he'd been out there all night long wanting a special word. No, God, do something. And all he needed to do was just believe in the word that God had already given him. Is this accurate, Brother Bob? Did I? And you know what? That's the way that so many of us are. Oh, God, I need you to touch my life. Oh, God, do something. God's already spoken. He's already revealed to you things. You know what the problem is? You just aren't believing. We're insecure. We're fearful. Circumstances go contrary like they did with John the Baptist. And because it's not working out the way we had envisioned. Because not everybody's excited about our vision. Here we are in doubt is what it amounts to. And our doubt's what's causing our misery. Our doubt's what's causing our pain. And if we'd just get back into faith and say, you know what? This is what God has said. And man, God's word is sufficient. I don't have to have five confirmations. I don't need an angel. I don't need this. God Almighty has told me this. And if you would get back on your faith and start operating in it, you wouldn't have any problem. All you need is faith in God. Isn't that awesome? Look over in 2 Peter chapter 1. Here's a passage of scripture that I'm sure many of you are familiar with. 
Second Peter chapter one, Peter said three times in this book, he says, I'm stirring you up by putting your minds in way of remembrance. And he was reminding people of things. And he said right here in this first chapter, in verse 12, he says, Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them, and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet, as long as I am in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, talking about his physical body, he was going to go be with the Lord, even as our Lord Jesus Christ hath showed me. Moreover, I will endeavor that you may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. What he's doing here is he's talking about, I'm going oh, to write this down for you so that you will have the things that we've said about our Lord Jesus Christ, his words, his teachings. The things that he did, I'm going to write it down so that you'll always be able to remember. And he says, the things we've communicated with you, they weren't just fables. They weren't things we made up. He says, I was an eyewitness of the majesty of the Lord. And uh, he says in verse 17, for he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven, we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. He's saying, man, I know what I'm telling you is true because I literally heard the audible voice of God. I saw the Shekinah glory of God manifest and hover over Jesus and this audible voice come out of the cloud. I saw Moses and Elijah talk with Jesus and explain what was going to happen in Jerusalem at his decease. And you know what? If you were to say these things... That the message I'm preaching, I know it's true because, and you start listing all of these supernatural things, that would be comparable to me going on television or radio and saying, hey, I've got a word for you. God appeared to me. I had an angel come and an angel spoke to me in an audible voice. I saw the Shekinah glory of God. I was caught up into the third heaven. Come to my meeting because I have a word for this city. You know, if I was to present it that way, I guarantee you we would pack out places. Because people wouldn't want to come for something like that. But you tell them that, hey, I've, I've got a revelation of God's word and I want to share the word of God. Much less people will come. Because you know what? Most people aren't as moved by the word of God as they are by an angel, by a vision, by something physical sight. And I'm not going to make a major deal out of this. I know that there's uh, extremes and everything. But you know what? There's a lot of people that have got into gold dust manifesting, feathers falling, the glory cloud of God coming into a service. I don't doubt that any of those things or all of them could happen, but who cares if they happen? I've had people come up and show me gold dust that was in their Bible like, you need this. What's gold dust going to do for me? That revelation, knowledge of the Word of God hasn't done for me. I've had people say, man, we are, we're believing that the glory cloud of God is going to come into this auditorium. If it comes, awesome. But you know what? It's not going to excite me more than the Word of God. Man, this one friend of mine said that he thought there was a mist and a darkness in the auditorium. And then he got some new glasses and found out he just couldn't see very good. Amen. <laughs> Did you know Jesus never had a glory cloud appear in his meetings? Now, you could talk about 
on the Mount of Transfiguration, but there's only three people there. Jesus never had glory clouds manifest in his meetings. He never had gold dust appear in his meetings. He never had a feather fall at his meeting. He never had any oil come on his hands or in his forehead. And you know what? I just personally, I'd be content to have meetings like Jesus did. I'm not looking for anything more than that. If Jesus was able to minister without all of those things, I just don't care whether I have them in my meetings or not. All that is is people being carnal. And I know this really upsets people. They, oh no, I'm spiritual. It's really spiritual. I did a TV or radio interview in St. Louis one time with somebody. I won't mention their name because most of you know who they were. And the whole thing was about the glory cloud of God. and God's doing a new thing. And they interviewed this person for 30 minutes. Then I got on and they started asking me, so have you ever seen a glory cloud? Has God ever done any of this? And no, and they just treated me like I was the plague because I didn't have these things happening. But you know what? This person, I visited with them for 30 minutes after the interview was over. They didn't have any miracles. They never saw a person healed. They didn't see any blind eyes open, deaf ears open. They weren't seeing any of the power of God in manifestation, but they had a mist come in the room. And because of that, they were just, oh, God's awesome. This is my own personal opinion. Opinion are like noses. Everybody's got one. Usually has a couple of holes in it. But it's my opinion <laughs> that that's just carnal. You would get excited over a goosebump more than you would get excited over having God Almighty speak to you. Now again, I've had... Some people think that when I teach this way that I've never had the power of God or any physical manifestation You know what, I have had, I've been caught up into the presence of God. I've done things that I'd never tell anybody lest somebody make a doctrine out of it. I've had things happen. I've had physical manifestations galore. But you know what, they aren't more important to me than the Word of God. I got to praying one night in Vietnam and I just was gone somewhere. I still don't know what happened, but I was gone somewhere for 10, 12 hours. Woke up in the morning, I must have had a thousand cockroaches on me, just eating me alive. And I'd been that way all night long, and yet I was in the presence of the Lord, and I didn't care about it. I've had some awesome things happen. I have been in the presence of the Lord in ways that I don't think anybody's ever had a greater manifestation of the glory of God and stuff. But you know what? I don't know how to say this in a way that people understand it, but you know what? Those things don't last. They're wonderful. I enjoy them when they come, but you can't build a life or a ministry off of that. The Word of God is the stability of my life. It's what makes things work. And yet I can guarantee you, most people, if you were to say, I had a Shekinah glory of God, I heard an audible voice. Moses and Elijah appeared to me. Come and hear what they've got to say. You would draw a lot more people, but you go to saying the word of God, I'm going to come minister the word. You draw a lot less people because most people aren't as excited about the word of God. But here's Peter saying all of these things to prove that, hey, what I'm telling you isn't just my thoughts. This is from God. But then he says in verse 19, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. I got something better than the audible voice of God. I've got something better than the Shekinah glory of God. I've got something better than Moses and Elijah physically appearing and talking to me. 
What could be better than that? Verse 20 says that knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scriptures of any private interpretation. God's word is more sure, more steadfast than a vision, than an angel, than a goose bump, than anything physical that you can see or hear. Now again, I am not saying that we are emotionless and that we don't have a physical body and things like this. There's a balance to what I'm saying. But I am saying that it ought to be our desire that you know what, God, if you show me something in the Word of God, that is sufficient for me. If you speak something in my heart, that's going to be sufficient. And I don't have to have five, six, seven confirmations. Once you know it's God, God's Word is sufficient. And I tell you, if you get that attitude, I believe that's the highest form of faith. That's walking by faith. You know, faith people... Because faith is real and faith produces real results, faith people actually can get caught up into the physical carnal realm very easily because there's tangibility to it. When you start seeing people heal and people raised from the dead and blind eyes open and things, it's easy to get to say, man, We know God's here because look what happened. Look at the changed lives. And that's true that we do see manifestation of our faith. But you know what? You need to never move away from the fact that God is here because His Word says He's here. And whether you see anybody jump a pew, scream, yell, shout, God is always here. I've got friends that, you know, uh, they were raised from an ultra-Pentecostal background. I came from a more conservative background and I love them and things like this, but I've literally got friends that have come to my meetings and uh, have spoken in our school and other things. And they are used to just working the people up until somebody's running, somebody's jumping, somebody's shouting, something awesome's got to happen. And if that doesn't happen, they just don't believe God's there. And they've been in services where our CBC group has worshiped the Lord and we've just been worshiping God and it hasn't been real demonstrative, but I guarantee you the power of God's awesome all over the place. And, and, uh, I've had them make comments to me before about, man, your people just don't worship God. They just don't praise God. These people aren't into the things of God and it's hard to minister. And he just has, he, he struggles to minister in this situation because he's developed a Pentecostal style that if he doesn't have the physical sensations and see it, he just doesn't believe God exists. That's wrong. Now, on the other hand, if you are more conservative and you don't scream and yell and jump and you can't enjoy where people are doing it, well, then you're carnal too. You got to have it your way. You know what? You need to get to a place to where if they jump and shout and run and spit and froth at the mouth, great. And if they don't, great. God's word says he's never going to leave us nor forsake us. You just need to get to a place where God's word is the foundation. And man, if if manifestations come and if you have goosebumps, man, I was talking with, uh, I forgot who else, uh, John Williamson yesterday. And he was telling me about some things. And man, as he was talking, I tell you, those glory bumps, goosebumps hit both of us. He says, man, I can feel it right now. I can feel it too. I guarantee you, I got feelings. I got emotions. But it's, it's like, it's like when you do feel something, it's not like, oh God, it really is real. 
No, it's really real to me whether I feel anything or not. Some of the greatest miracles I have ever seen in my life, I felt zero, zippo, zilch, nada. Matter of fact, if David Hardesty was in here today, uh, Gail's here, she could verify this. Did you go up with us to pray with that woman? But David and I went up to this uh, room and prayed with this woman who had cancer, and it was she was in bad shape. I mean, she was as close to death as anybody I've ever seen and still breathing. And we went up and prayed with that woman and uh, Nadawa, she's here somewhere. You went up and prayed with her and uh, she was pretty bad, wasn't she? This lady was really, really bad. And anyway, I ministered to her. I ministered to her family and uh, zero manifestation of anything. Zero manifestation. And you know what? I just learned that I like it when there's manifestations. I like it if they automatically jump up, come out of the wheelchair. I like it that way. I believe God likes it that way. But, you know, it doesn't always happen that way. And sometimes you just have to speak the word and stand in faith. Anyway, we ministered to her, spoke faith over her. And I guarantee you, I thought about telling David when we left there that that woman hadn't got a chance in the world. She had only been born again a very short period of time. Had only watched me on on, uh, television for three weeks. They didn't know come here from Sikkim about faith. They didn't have any revelation. It was just bad. I shot my best shot. I prayed my best prayer. But honestly, I thought about telling David that she hadn't got a chance. That woman won't live. But I've learned to keep my mouth shut and not speak my unbelief. And you know what? I literally forgot it. Because... Anytime I thought about it, it wasn't good. So I just quit thinking about it and I forgot it. And uh, where were we? St. Louis, I think, is where this woman showed up, says, I'm the woman you pray for. I didn't even recognize her. She looked great. She came up on the platform and we had a platform that was probably higher than this, but no steps. The steps were around on the side and I asked her to come give her testimony. She walked up and jumped up on the platform. Pretty good for a woman that two months before was mostly dead. And this woman was just healed. Charlie and Jill were there and saw this lady uh, give her testimony. And you know what? You just can't always. If you get to a place to where because you do see manifestations so often. Therefore, you if you don't see something, then you are confident nothing has happened. You're going to get some people die on you because of you speaking your unbelief. Man, I believe we're supposed to see manifestations, but at the same time, you know what? Sometimes you just have to speak your faith and refuse to speak any unbelief and things out your mouth. And you just are as strong in your faith when you don't see anything as you are when you do see something. It's easy if you do see manifestations to get to where you just are so insistent upon that that you can't believe if you don't see something happen. And you know what? That's getting back to being carnal. The word carnal doesn't necessarily mean sinful or demonic or bad. The word carnal just means of the five senses. What you can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. Being dominated by your five senses. That's what the word carnal means. Actually, if you look the word carnal up, it means fleshly. It's, It's referring to the meat of an animal is what the word carnal means. That's, it comes from the same word that we get carny from. Chili con carny. Chili with meat. That's what it's talking about. So when you say you're carnally minded, you're saying you're a meathead. 
And carnal just means dominated by what you see. We've got to get to a place to where God's word is more real. God said, you lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Now we like to see them instantly recover, but it says they shall recover. And sometimes you've got to lay hands on them and just believe regardless of whether you see anything or not. That's what the Bible calls faith. And I tell you, brothers and sisters, I know that we're all awesome people, ministers, love God. But you know what? A lot of us in here are really carnal. And because you aren't seeing your vision come to pass, you've lost your confidence, your boldness. You're looking for a confirmation, a prophecy. You're looking for something else. And you know what? That's just carnal. What you need to do is get back into faith. What you need is the same thing Jesus did for John and just refer you back to the word and says, what does the word say? Has God spoken to you? Has God given, did God call you? Go back to what God said and just go to believing God instead of having to have all these physical things to confirm it. And you know what that is? That's faith. And man, we need to get back on the word of God. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Father, we just thank you for the word. Thank you, Jesus.